chapter 6, we're in the midst of our series entitled Invisible War. And we are seeing that, uh, and the scripture shows us that we are in a war. We are in a battle. Uh, And it's a battle that you are in whether you want to be or not. That if you are, no matter who you are, if you, your heart beats, if your brain functions, you are in this war. Whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian, God has all of humanity, all of humanity is in this invisible war that is going on all around us. And as we're in the midst of this battle, we have seen that we have three enemies The world, this fallen world, and the systems, the things that this world values, its philosophies, and it's working through many of the structures uh, of injustice, of economics, of spirituality, of morality. Everything is within that sphere, that fallen world. And then we have the flesh. This is the evil that dwells within each one of our hearts. And every one of us has a dent of disobedience, has a proclivity to certain sins that we love, that are natural to us, that we try to hide from other people, that we want to indulge, that is anti-God. So we have the world, the flesh, and then we have the devil, the powers of darkness that are going on around us. Satan and his demons, these fallen angels that have declared war against God. But not do we only have three enemies. We actually have three allies. Now, to battle this, the world, we have other believers, a church, a body of people of all different backgrounds, from all different experiences, from all different educational levels, from all different uh, places in life and places of the world, and come together to, to bond together, to hold in one another, to encourage one another, to battle the things of this world. And then to battle the flesh, God gives his spirit and places it into you to conform you, to transform you so you will be like his son. And then within the heavenly realm, we have angels that are battling in our behalf that are sent, according to the scripture, to serve those who are to inherit salvation, that there's angelic beings battling on our behalf. So we've learned these past several weeks about the world the flesh, and the devil. But now we need to understand how are we to arm ourselves? How do we prepare ourselves? And, and we've seen that God has not left us unprepared. He doesn't just drop us off in the middle of a war zone without supplies, without armor, without weapons, that he has equipped us and that he is giving us uh, these provisions to live and arm ourselves to battle sufficiently for God. Now, next week, we're going to get into the full armor of God and what it is, how to use it, how to utilize it. But today, we're going to lead lead into that with our first few verses that Gloria read for us today. And then we saw, as we read, he says within this, verse 10, finally... Be strong. And he's, he's saying that I want you to understand what's going on. That you, I'm concluding my thought. And he's actually, the thought that he just had was talking about how to live our faith in the everyday life. And it's in our homes. He talks about relationships between husbands and wives. Because that's where it's played out a lot of times. And then in, our, in the midst of our, with our children. And how our children are to react to their parents. Because these are the fundamental relationships that we experience most, most frequently. And then in our workaday world, bond servants, how do we live and work in the midst of the society we find ourselves? And then he says, finally, I want you, these are the concluding thought I have for you. This is what I want to leave for you today as you are going into this war and you're going out into this world and how you are to mentally and spiritually prepare yourself for this war that you are in. And he says, finally, he starts off in verse, verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. He's, he's preparing them for war. 
He's saying, you got to, above all, you need now to arm yourself because you are on high alert. You are on high alert. You need to know that you're a battle, that you can't just shove your head in the sand, that you can't run away, that you are in this battle. And you need to be alert to what is going on around you. You can't be asleep. You can't, you can't um, run away from these duties that you have to be on high alert and know how to battle well. Now, as I think about how the Bible has spoken to us about how we are to wage this invisible war, I started reading a little bit about war. I've actually been watching uh, some videos on war. I have personally not experienced physical war. I know that there are some here that you have. Unfortunately, you've had relatives, loved ones that have been killed. Maybe you've even served in the military. You've seen it. You've experienced it. You know how awful the taste of it is. You know the dread and the fear that plagues you, that hangs on you, that runs through the course of your body. And you know what it's like to be on high alert. And the Bible talks about that. And, and so for me, I have to learn more about war by watching, by reading. And I, I found a book, and probably the biggest book that talks about war from a physical perspective. It's a very ancient book. It's called The Art of War by, my, by a man named Sun Tzu. And, and in this book, he actually lays it out. It was written in 513 B.C. And he uh, wrote it, and it's on uh, Chinese military tactics, actually. And he talks about war. And it's interesting, one thing that he, he, he said that I, I see in the physical realm of how war is to be played out, and, uh, but I, I see it a little differently spiritually. But he said this, because I, I read this and I, I, I saw it and I was thinking on it, and I thought, man, doesn't that just sound like the devil? And he said this, he says, all warfare is based on deception. See, this is what Satan does. Satan wants to deceive us, and we, in order for us to be, be strong in the Lord, we have to be able to recognize this world that we're in. And understand that the devil is trying to deceive you. He wants to deceive you. He wants to get into your thoughts, get into your mind, to make you question God. He says all warfare is based on deception. Hence, when we are able to attack, we must seem unable. When using our forces, we must appear inactive. When we are near, we must make the enemy believe we are far away. When we are far away, we must make him believe that we are near. That's how warfare is played out. You know, I wonder if Satan read this. Because that's how he operates. He's all about deception. And he wants to deceive you. He wants to deceive the people of God. He wants to challenge your thoughts, challenge your heart, challenge your mind. And he, he is working to turn you away from God. He wants to get you to be apathetic. I mean, he might try to attack you with overt sins. He might try to get you to be a, a drug addict or a complete alcoholic. Or he might try to get you to, to engage in all kinds of promiscuity. But you know, he doesn't just wage war that way. He does not subtle ways. For him, it doesn't matter. If, 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 if for example, he's not going to make you have an affair if pornography will do. That's easier and lots less costly. He's not going to worry about making you a drug addict if he can make you a glutton. That's easier. He's going to come at you in subtle ways. He's not going to get you to watch overt pornography on television or on Netflix or something like that. When you can just watch other, other shows with just a little bit of nudity or a little bit of sexuality, that's okay. See, he's got you. That's what he's doing. He's in warfare against you. And he's not just going with the big stuff. He can use the little things because the road to hell is a gradual one that brings you down slowly. It's the whole pot in the kettle. Everyone, I think, has heard that. But if you take a frog and you put it in a pot of boiling water, what happens to that frog? He goes in and jumps right out. But if you put that frog in that pot of just normal room temperature water and you turn it up, and that frog will actually 
boiled to death because he, he doesn't realize that the temperature is changing around him. See, that's what Satan wants to do to you. He wants to bring it up. He wants to war against you in different ways. He wants to get you to compromise in small ways. And he wants to use that gradual road to bring you in. He wants to deceive. Now, as I was reading this, I came across a quote I want to share with you. And it's this one. The best way to take control over a people is this. And control them utterly is to take a little of their freedom at a time. To erode rights by a thousand tiny and almost imperceptible imperceptible reductions. In this way, the people will not see those rights and freedoms being removed until past the point at which these changes cannot be reversed. Do you know who said this? Check it out. Adolf Hitler. Hitler said that. And do you know, when he came in, he was actually legally elected. He got into office legally. He would say that he was a Christian, by the way. I have quotes from him. He says, I'm a Christian. I stand for truth and justice. Just because someone says it doesn't mean it's true because that's what the devil does. The devil says all he wants to say to get you to believe and put your guard down that you'll let all these things into your life. And and what Paul is saying is that you need to know what's going on. You need to know what's going on around you. That there you got to understand the the battlefield. You got to know the terrain. You got to know the parameters. That's the first thing I want you to write down. We need to understand the parameters of this battle. The terrain, what's going on? What's happening around us? We need to understand that because, see, Christians have this difficulty of waging war in a lot of different ways, and they're not always the right ways. Our battle is not a political one. It's not about Republican and Democrat or Independent. That's not, where, that's not the battleground. I mean, not to say that we don't vote, not to say that we don't take stands for things politically, but that's not where the real war is. That's not it. And people are trying to do that back and forth, and they get angry, and it's like, you know what? And you see in scriptures, when people are talking about politicians or the scriptures telling us about kings and power, that there is a power behind the throne. And it's a, lot, a lot of times it's a demonic power. It's like, I don't know if you remember Lord of the Rings, and they have the, the king of Gondor. Is that his name? Gondor? The king of Gondor. And he has that guy in his ear, and he makes his face all white, and he's listening. He's just lying to him the entire time. And that's what what the devil does. He gets in. If you think that he's not involved in politics, he's engaged. He's engaged. We have to understand the parameters. And we have to understand that the battle, battle that we are in right now is in the heavenly realm. It's in the heavenly realm. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That's the idea of saying humanity. It's not about humanity that we're fighting with. He's saying that against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, this world in which we are living, this fallen world of which the devil's in charge, that he is the prince and power of the air. He is the ruler of this world until he is cast out. Now, he is a defeated ruler who knows his time is short, but he's not going to have that completely actualized until Jesus comes back again. That he is the savior elect, if you will. That he is going to take charge. But until that time, Satan wars. He is warring. And this battle is waged in the heavenly realm, but it's waged for the hearts of mankind. That's the second thing you can write down there, letter B. It's waged for the hearts of mankind. Because you know that the scripture says that the God of this world keeps unbelievers blinded to the light and life of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 4 verse 4. 
that, you, that we are blinded, that we were once children of wrath, sons and daughters of disobedience, slaves to our desires and our wants and our pleasures. And that comes out in many different ways. The Bible talks about that in saying that Satan wants to keep people blinded. They don't want people to become Christians, to be followers of Jesus, that he will use anything and everything in order to get people blinded. Whether it's comfort and that works, that's fine. If it's sports center or it's religion, he'll use whatever he can to, to keep people back from seeing the light and life of Christ. So we have to be aware of that, that it's taking place in the heavenly realms, taking place in the heavenly realms, that we were at once children of wrath, as Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3 says. You could turn to that if you want to on page 976 or 1242 if you have a large print Bible. But Paul, by the Spirit, writes, and he says, he says our state, how we were before Jesus Christ came and, and, and uh, invaded, in essence, rescued us. And it says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. That, we're all, that says that we're all followers of Satan, whether we realize it or not. Because remember, the, greatest, the devil's greatest trick is to get people to believe that he doesn't exist. He makes people deceive that he's far away when he's actually quite near. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, Every one of us, every single person in this room, there is no, not one person that was a born-again Christian the moment they were born. Not one. Every single one of us had to come to faith in Christ on our own. We can't live on the faith of our parent, but we have to embrace Christ ourselves. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. See, that is to say that everybody who is born into this world is under the influence of the thoughts and patterns of this world. The thoughts, values, aspirations, and hope of this fallen world. That's what's going on all around us. That's why we think so moldable, susceptible to the crowd, just as actually Hitler said this too. I've never given so many Hitler quotes in my life, but he says, the receptivity of the masses is very limited. Their intelligence is small, but their power of forgetting is enormous. In consequence of these facts, all effective propaganda must be limited to a very few points and must harp on these, those, these in slogans until the last member of the public understands what you want him to understand by your slogan. This is, I mean, this is, could be Satan's playbook, really. This is how evil is played out. And the masses among us, and it's, it's what Satan is warring, doing against us, that we are very easily forgettable. I mean, not, I mean, we forget things all the time. The truths of who God is. That's why we need to be in church and be constantly reminded and in fellowship to hear God's word preached, to be praying together, to hear the word of God together, to renew our minds together so that we may not be caught off guard and deceived by the evil one. We have to be aware of that. So it's a war for the hearts of mankind. See, Satan wants to keep us blinded to the light and life of Jesus Christ. You know, I, I mentioned that I've been reading a lot and watching a lot of videos on World War II recently. And I was struck just by how deluded and deceptive Hitler was. Not every German was in favor of him. Matter of fact, he took out many of the leaders and those influential people, and then he went down the list. 
And after that, after he got into power, he knew the power of manipulation, and he knew where you get people is when they're young. So he developed this whole young, like the young or youth Hitler movement. And he went after them. He just knew that in order to get the hearts of people, start when they're young. And I think the devil's doing that today, by the way. In greater ways than I ever have seen in my life. I mean, we have to guard too because constantly we have a stream of stuff getting into our homes through our phones, Netflix, and the internet. We have to be very guarded on what we let in. I'm not perfect at this. I'm learning just like everyone else is. But we have to be very careful because it's, Satan is going after our kids. He goes after our kids. Hitler knew that, and it's from the devil's playbook. And also, Hitler understood this. He said a few things. Here's a few things that he said that I I see this is also from the devil's playbook. If you tell a big enough lie and tell it frequently enough, it will be believed. He knew the power of a lie. Satan is the father of lies. He doesn't care about truth, and neither did Hitler. Hitler also once said this, it's not truth that matters, but victory. You know, for the Christian... Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and it's the truth that sets us free. Truth matters everything to us. We'll die for truth. See, Satan is very deceptive. You know, Hitler also said this, great liars are also great magicians. They make people believe they're thinking one thing, and they're actually doing another. You know, I see this playing out in our culture. See, Satan has kept countless numbers of people blinded to the power of the gospel, and he's done this in several, several ways, and he's gotten people to hold on to their sins. Now, I am going to step into the political realm for a moment because faith is to be the umbrella under which everything that we do and live falls. And I want to just highlight some words for you for a moment to show how the devil twists meanings of things. First of all, we can look at the, something that has been in our news this past week, Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood. Now, just look at the name of it for a moment. Planned. The idea is, is that, oh, it's Planned oh, it's, the idea is I want something that's planned. I must have made a mistake, and I'm going to correct a mistake. See what I'm saying? Or how about this one? How about a gentleman's club? Let me tell you something. Gentlemen don't go there. But it says gentleman's club. See, these are words that he takes and he uses against God's people. And I like, even as we're watching the Planned Parenthoods, this pa- Planned Parenthood videos, if you've seen those, I, I, I cringe when I hear these words. It's not a baby, it's a fetus. And then they use different scientific words rather than the words we use every day. They're not eyes, but orbits. And I understand the doctors use scientific names, but they're not body parts, but fetal tissue. And rather than it being a baby's body, it's a fetal cadaver. It removes the humanity, so we don't think about that they're people. See, that's what goes on. That's what the devil wants to do. He wants you to remove your idea of what humanity is by removing it from a distance. It's not assisted suicide anymore. It's not killing someone. It's just helping them on their journey. See how the terms have been shifted? And they're not making a profit, by the way. Planned Parenthood is not making a profit. They are getting reimbursed for a donation. See how the words are changing? See what you're doing there? It's, it's crazy how our world has become. Men who think that they are women and women who think that they are, are, are men, they're not mentally ill anymore, but they're transgendered. We're for transgendered rights. Considered, for example, Boyd Burton. I say that, by the way, sarcastically. Consider Boyd Burton, who is now known as Fallon Fox, an MMA fighter, 
mixed martial arts fighter who was a male, had reassignment surgery, and now is fighting as a woman in mixed martial arts. In fact, Boyder Fallon, uh, in one of the matches, beat a woman to a pulp in the ring this past fall and was being hailed as a hero and a pioneer. And I like how one man put it. He goes, I never thought that beating up a woman as a man was ever considered to be hero-worthy. That's how crazy our world is. We're like, well, he's really a woman. No, he's not. Your DNA doesn't change. DNA does not change. You can have all of the hormone therapy. You can get all the surgery you want. DNA does never change, ever. As a matter of fact, the head of psychiatry at Johns Hopkins Hospital, okay, he's actually now, I think he's a scholar in, in residence. He said this. He said that it is a mental illness. And he went on to say, and it's by the name, his name is Dr. Paul R. McHugh, and this was featured in the Wall Street Journal. He is the current Distinguished Service uh, Professor of Psychiatry who said that transgenderism is a mental disorder that merits treatment. They need treatment. They're, They're sick people. That sex change is biologically impossible and that people who promote sexual reassignment surgery are actually collaborating with and promoting a mental disorder. See, now even gender is on a spectrum. If you go to the, one of the University of California's, instead of choosing male or female, you have six choices to choose from. Six. I don't remember getting that on the birth certificate. It's a transgendered boy. It's a boy or it's a girl. That's just the way our, our society has become. Matter of fact, it's gotten so ridiculous that uh, a professor at the University of I- uh, Idaho State University just released findings, and it's, I thought it was a joke. And he said that we must accept um, people who self-identify as vampires and recognize them as such. It wasn't a joke. This is how ridiculous our world has become. And people are saying, oh, you're, you're making that up. I'm not. I wish I was. But if you were to go back 50 years ago and say this about transgenderism and gay marriage, they would be like, you're crazy. It's going to get worse. Now, and again, it's not in the political realm. This is a spiritual thing that's going on. And we have to be aware of that. And how this world, I mean, we're waging against the world, the flesh, and the devil. We have to be very aware of what is going on all around us. We need to make sure that we guard against it because we are the ones who are to speak truth. To speak truth in the midst of our fallen world. We have to defend those who are defenseless and cannot speak for themselves. And don't think this is somebody else's battle. This is yours. This is mine. This is ours. You know, it's interesting, as I'm talking about World War II, I'm reminded of the quote by Martin Niemöller. For those who know, he was a German Protestant pastor in World War II. And he didn't speak up initially when he saw the things that Hitler was doing. And he said this. He goes, first they came for the socialists. And I didn't speak because I wasn't a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists. And I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came out for the Jews. And I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came, out for, then they came for me. And there was no one left to speak for me. So we have to speak for those that are hurting, for those that are voiceless, We have to defend those who cannot defend themselves. We must do so in love. Without love, we have nothing. We don't scream on street corners. We love and we weep as we proclaim the truth of who Jesus is. This is not something that we do with a proud heart or an arrogant manner. This is something that we do from the depths of our being in love and mercy, mercy, pleading and pleading for those who cannot speak for themselves. 
And for those that disagree with us, we are to have compassion and continue to pray for them that they might see the light and life of Christ. Not promoting hate, not promoting violence. As Jesus said, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Even when Peter pulled out his sword, he said, put it back. That's not the realm of our warfare. The realm of our warfare is in the spiritual realm, not in the physical one. We must remember that as we go back, and back to the Word of God, as we seek to change people's hearts and praying that God changes and transforms minds, which means we need to rely on His power. We need to rely on His power. Let's look back at verse 10 again. I want to set the stage for you a little bit. Now I want to really jump into the text. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, the first words, finally, be strong in the Lord, it's a present imperative in the middle or passive voice, which means something being done to us. It's a command for us to allow ourselves to be strengthened or empowered. This is not your rocky moment. This isn't the rocky, get in shape, do it myself. That is not the strength and power that it's talking about. This is, I'm putting myself on the table. God you strengthen me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on my knees. I'm going to breathe out all of my unbelief. I'm going to confess my sins to you. And I'm going to take in your word and let it empower and strengthen me. That's what that is. That's finally be strengthened in the Lord and the power of his might. It's allowing God to strengthen us. Now this power that we need, that we have to have, it's a command here, by the way. It's not an optional thing. You can't live the life that God wants you to do apart from his spirit. It's, and it's only found in and through Jesus Christ. Only found, it's found only in and through Jesus Christ. This power is made available to us through him. We're to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. It means that God has enabled Jesus' power, that Holy Spirit power is made available to us. Now what is this? It's the power that, it, that worked in and through Jesus' life and ministry. It's the same power that raised him up from the dead. It's the same power that God has made available to us. That same power is made available through Jesus' death and resurrection. And it, it, the, the power is displayed in indwelling us. It's the power by which you, are, uh, which you are transformed into a new creation, that you're delivered from sin and made a brand new person. And when God comes into your life, you're delivered from the domain of darkness and ushered into God's kingdom. A kingdom that does not consist of mere talk, but of spiritual power. And it's by this spiritual power that we are strengthened in our inner being. And we live now a victorious life and holy life that God desires by continually surrendering and submitting to Him. And it only comes as a direct result of trusting in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And when we do that, God places His Spirit within us. This Holy Spirit is absolutely, it's not an it, it's a He. Essential to wage successful warfare, as we read in Romans chapter 8, verse 9 through 17. And if, turn there with me, would you please, to Romans chapter 8. This is one of the greatest passages, chapters in all of Scripture. I would, continue, I would encourage you to memorize this, especially if many of us in this room have been noticing we're struggling with sin. We are struggling with, we know that we've confessed Christ. We know that we uh, have invited him into our hearts and our minds, but yet we continually feel guilt and shame. Romans 8.1 is one of the best verses that you could ever memorize. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation that you've been set free. The devil might try to condemn you, but Jesus doesn't. And his is the only one that matters. But in Romans chapter 8, verse 9 through 17, Paul by the Spirit writes this. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. 
And the only way the Spirit of God dwells in you is if you surrender your life to Christ and trust in Him as Lord and Savior. And then God places His Spirit in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are now children of God. This is, a, this is an innate thing within you that shows that you are God's child. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Put that in your theological cap. You are an heir with Christ. You are an heir, a co-heir with him. He has enabled all the things that he has achieved and he's given it to you. We are heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And we suffer as we stand for truth. As the devil will come against us and this, war, this world will wage war with us. Don't try to be accepted by the world. Why? Because this world is passing away along with all of its desires. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Forever. Now this victory only comes, it's only found in Christ, but it only comes through being filled with his spirit. We don't talk about this a whole lot. As Bible church people, we're great with talking about Jesus. We come to the spirit, we get a little bit wary. We'd like to leave that to a lot of our, our charismatic Pentecostal friends, but that's not how we're to be. As we, are, we believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father has planned it. The Son has, has purchased it. And then the, Son, the, the Spirit helps bring it about. Bring it about. But we are to be filled with the Spirit. So we are, we are given the Spirit of God, but we are to be filled with that Spirit continually over and over again. And the battle, that we, the battle that we are in is a spiritual battle, and it requires us to be filled with the Spirit. We're not to spend our time messing around getting drunk, as Ephesians 5.18 says. And you could turn to Ephesians chapter 5 if you wish. If not, I'll read it for you, because the Scripture says this, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, how are we to be filled with the Spirit? We don't just say it. How do we do it? By practicing and doing that which is spiritual which means reading his word. This is a spirit. This is not just a normal book. This is a God-inspired living book. The word of God is God-breathed. It's the same word that was used uh, in, in, when the, it was written in Hebrew, but when the Greeks translated it, they used the same word that was used of um, Adam, God breathing the breath of life into Adam. This word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, that it is complete in and of itself. There is no need for any other revelation. Without the word of God, we have nothing. 
It is the Bible that has power, not you. Bible is inspired. It's living and active. It is to train us. It is to mold us. It is to sharpen us. That is why we take in the word of God. That's how our mind is renewed. As we continually meditate and think on those things, it directs our hearts. It directs our minds. It changes our thoughts. And it changes our attitudes and our actions. Now, how, how are you reading the word of God? And are you letting the word of God read you? Are you letting, are you letting it change you from the inside out? What are you, I mean, what are you putting in? What are you taking in? It's amazing that we have a lot of time for Sports Center and a lot of TV shows and movies, but yet we don't have time for the Word of God. God help us. I understand we have busy schedules. I understand we have families and things to take care of, but we need those moments to pull, apart, to pull away and let God fill and direct and touch us. We need to be filled with His Spirit. Now, I want to spotlight verse 11. Let's go back to verse 11 in Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 11 for a moment. Put on, here's another command, the whole armor of God, not just one piece of it, not just the shield, not just the sword, not just the helmet, all of them together, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, what God is saying there is, I've given you armor, you've got to put it on. Here it is. And, and, and what he's saying there, I have given you, I've provided you with something, and you need to stand in that provision. That's the next point you need to write down. Stand in that provision. He has given you this armor. Every single one of you, he has given you the armor. As soon as you trust in Jesus Christ, there is a big old sack of that armor ready for you to put on. And you've got to put it on. Many of us try to go wage against the devil and we're naked. And you're going to lose. It's going to hurt. You've got to be able to wage that war in that armor that God has given us. This armor is spiritual. It is a spiritual armor. Just as we saw a moment ago, we have to learn to be filled with the Spirit. This armor comes through focused reading of God's Word and appropriation of the truths of God's Word through meditation as we stand in His promises. That's how we renew our mind. Now, I had an instance once. um, For those that you uh, might know uh, my family, um, uh, some of you might know my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law has come back to Jesus Christ, and we thank God for that. But there was a period of time where my mother-in-law was actually a Wicca witch. So when I used to say that my mother-in-law was a witch, I wasn't joking, okay? She was a wicked witch. And I remember the first time, I mean, she had spells and did tarot cards and did all that stuff. And I remember when we had her come and stay at our home, when I was pastoring in Chicago, we had our firstborn child, Eliana. And uh, I could not actually hand Eliana to my mother-in-law, knowing I was physically handling her to a practicing witch. I, I couldn't do it. Someone else had to do it. And I had everybody I knew praying my mother-in-law that night. Uh, She was supposed to be there a week, and it ended up that God was on her heart so hard. I mean, it it was pretty incredible. But I remember the night where everything kind of reached its zenith, and and Melissa and I are getting ready for bed, and we're in bed, and um, Melissa's just really, uh, my wife Melissa's just really anxious, and she's, honey, something's just not right. Something's not right. We need to go get Eliana and bring her in our room. And I said, okay. And my mother-in-law was actually staying in the uh, living room, and the, we had a pull-out, and I had to walk kind of through there to get to Eliana's room. And I walked up to the door, and I never felt so much darkness in my house at that moment in time. And I had been studying the armor of God. And as I walked out of that room, I started arming myself. I did. I, in my head, I was going, 
Lord, I have the helmet of salvation. I am saved. I am by Jesus Christ. I have the, the breastplate of righteousness. I've been following you. I've been living an upright life. You know, I've struggled with sin, Lord, but I've confessed it. I'm moving on. I'm, my feet are shed with the gospel of peace. This is not something that is a war that, that I am waging physically, but it is one that you have given unto me, but it's a peace gospel. You're declaring peace with us right now. And I got the sword of the Spirit. I'm clinging on to that word of God, and I'm appropriating that shield of faith and that 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 belt of truth that is there. And I physically, I can feel like armor on myself right there that the devil can't get to me. It's not going to get to my daughter or my wife. And we, I grabbed my, my baby and I put her in arms and I just said, we just continue to pray until that darkness dissipated. And I was so, I remember I was calling, I, that morning I woke up and I was calling other people to pray. And I, uh, my mother-in-law at that moment of time was miserable. She had these awful pains that were going on. The only way that she'd get relief is she heard Christian music on radio. It was moody radio. And she'd turn it on and she'd have this relief. It was like Saul with David when he played the harp and he was tortured with a spirit. And so we're, we're praying that and I'm calling, I call my, my other pastor. I'm like, have you ever cast out a demon? I said, I've never, he goes, no, but I'll come and help. <laughs> I said, I've never done that before. How do we do this? Uh, I don't know. Let's keep praying. So that's what we continue to do. We just continue to pray. Then we're praying. Let's get her to Sunday morning. Let's get her to Sunday morning. Pray Sunday morning, Lord. Take her to Sunday morning. And just show up with your people. And it was Saturday night, and she was, like, tortured. And she demanded to leave the house. She couldn't be in our house any longer. She demanded we change her flight. It wasn't supposed to leave for several days later, and she had to go home. And I said so we reluctantly did it because she was so belligerent. I don't know if it was the right decision. That's what we did. And then I woke up in the morning to take her to the airport. She was standing outside with her bags packed, and she wouldn't walk back into our house because so many people were praying. It's a spiritual war we're in. We have to arm ourselves with God's provision. Now, God, by the way, the light broke through. It changed her life. Now, she's not a perfect woman. I mean, that know her, but she's trying. God's taking a hold of her life. God's taking a hold of her life. You have to be filled with His Spirit, stand in His provision. It's a spiritual armor, and I'll tell you something, it's sufficient. It is sufficient. It is completely fine. It's not going to, it, it's, you know, one of the things they talk about in war is realize that what you're, what, you know, first of all, if the enemy, if you can see the enemy, the enemy can see you. And remember, the body armor you're wearing is made by the lowest bidder. <laughs> that's what people say. It's made by the lowest bidder. You need to be aware of that. But see, with God, that's the highest bidder. And there's nothing getting through that armor. That is completely sufficient. It can handle whatever the devil throws at you. It can handle any of it. That armor is completely sufficient for you. And next week we're going to get into all the specifics of that armor. Now, I want to, I want to conclude with three, three little points here to uh, end our time. First of all, I know that many of us are tired, that we're in a spiritual battle. We're going through a lot right now. You're seeing what's going on in the culture. Uh, you're wringing your hands. You're getting nervous. But let me tell you, don't grow weary. Don't grow weary. Don't grow weary. Don't give in and give up. That Jesus said, take heart. And I love that in Scripture. In John chapter 16 or chapter 17, he says, take heart. I have overcome the world. That he is victorious. So you don't, don't grow weary. Don't give in. Don't grow weary. We'll leave a harvest if we do not give up. You might feel like the whole world has gone to hell in the handbasket. You just want to wring your hand and say, I quit. I want to withdraw. I'm going to grow a beard and drive a buggy. No electricity for me. I don't need the internet. I'll just be Amish. We'll be all good to go. I won't like the fact we won't wear deodorant, but I'll get along. Okay? 
But that's not it. Don't grow weary in doing good, for we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. That's the first thing I want you to take with you. Don't give in. Don't grow old. Don't give up. Hold on, because he will bring about his purposes in his time, and we will be victorious. So don't grow weary. Second of all, continue your walk with God. Don't get distracted by all of the things of this world. You keep walking with God. Just remember when Peter and uh, John were with Jesus after Jesus rose from the dead, and Jesus tells John some uh, pretty amazing things and tells Peter some pretty amazing things, and Peter looks at John and he goes, what about him? Peter says, Peter says, no, 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 you follow me. You don't worry about him. You don't worry about what other people are doing. You follow me. That's what I want you to do. You continue that walk with God, and you need to fight for that. You've got to fight for that time. Because your devil will give you distractions. He will bring in sporting events. He will bring in plays. He will bring in all kinds of entertainments and TV shows and videos and YouTube videos and kids and everything else. He will bring whatever distraction he can to keep you from having time with God. You have to fight for it. You've got to set it apart. Fight for that. So continue on in that walk with the Lord. And last of all, the last point I want, you to, I want us all to remember is this. The victory has already been won. Studying that in Ephesians today, in my quiet time, I got up with the Lord, and it says we've already been seated with him in the heavenlies. It's an idea. It's already been accomplished. We just got to enter into that. The victory, his victory is our victory. And by faith, we step into that victory, that we were crucified with Christ. It is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives within us. And that victory that he had over sin and death is our victory by faith in his name as the Spirit of God has appropriated that life into us. We have to make sure that we grasp onto that. So don't grow, don't grow cold. Don't become weary. And I want to conclude today with one little passage I'd like to read for you from Psalm 91. For those that are tempted to give in and give up, that you're, you're tired and you're hurting. Now, I love the Psalms. It's been said that there have been more tears cried on the pages of the Psalms than any other book of the Bible. Because it's most, uh, I believe it's most representative of the feeling and pains we have. But Psalm 91 I want to read this in its entirety to you. You could turn there if you wish, page 497. But it says this, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His pinions And under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. 
he will trample underfoot because he who holds he holds fast to me in love i will deliver him i will protect him because he knows my name when he calls to me i will answer him i will be with him in trouble i will rescue him and honor him with long life i will satisfy him and show him my salvation may this be our prayer as we face the day to day in this invisible war that we find ourselves. Let's pray. Father, we come into your presence not with any righteousness of our own, for we, are have, we have none, Lord. You know our propensity to idolatry. You know how quickly we have given in to all manner and kinds of sin. We come before you humbly, confessing our sins, knowing that you are faithful and you are just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we know that we are, you also know that we are battle-weary. That as we see the things going on around us, not just around us in our culture, but even in our own homes, we are so tempted to give in or give up. Lord, may we cast all of our burdens upon you, knowing that you care for us, that you are the God of hope, that you are the God who brings beauty from ashes, that you are the God who can level the mountains, that you are the God who can make streams flow in the desert places. You are the God of the impossible. And Lord, we pray that you take the impossible and make it possible in our lives. And may you receive glory, honor, and praise because of it. And Lord, if there's someone here today who have not yet trusted, uh, trusted your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as Savior, Lord, I pray that they might repent of their sins, that they might see the light of Jesus Christ, and they might turn and embrace him and receive him because the scripture is clear that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that if we confess with our mouths, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. We will be saved. Lord, you are our Lord. You are our God. We are your people. Forgive us when we fail. Forgive us when we fall. But Lord, please establish us, restore us, and make us to be those victorious Christians you desire us to be. And Lord, let us live righteous lives that the name of your Son might joyously reflect and radiate from our lives, that others too might see their sin and see you as Savior and turn from that sin and embrace you and be saved. Glorify your name in our midst, show our power in our lives, and bless us as we go into our day-to-day lives, whether it's in difficult marriages or situations in our homes with our children or in our schools or in our workplaces. Lord, be God in our lives. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.